Right. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast, another episode, another YouTube recording of Mental Matters. I am Kim. I am the chairperson of Psyche. And as usual, I'm joined by the beautiful Kopano. Morning. Hi. How are you, Kim? I am good. Today's a bit colder than last week, but I'm okay. Right? True, true. It's okay. We're uh, almost through the winter blues and then soon enough we'll be spring. <laughs> I'm telling you, lockdown and summer is going to be interesting. But um, enough about our woes. I think let's go straight into today's topic. Today we have such an awesome, awesome guest. I'm just going to introduce him quickly. Um, Mr. Anthony Townsend is a clinical psychologist with special interests in neuropsychology and forensics. He runs a private practice in Sanson where his therapeutic focus is cognitive behavioral therapy, which he uses to help manage people's anxieties and depression. And he is also trained in multiple orientations to help people of all ages make the life and relationship changes they desire. He's been trained at UP, at WITS, and at Oxford, and is currently completing his PhD at UNISA. Um, He also consults for hospitals in Johannesburg, and he's on the Medical Appeal Board for Civil Aviation. And I know him on a personal level as a guest lecturer at the University of Pretoria. Some of you may know him in that capacity as well. And he has been named one of South Africa's brightest young minds by Absa Barclays. Oh my gosh, we are in the presence of greatness. Thank you so much, Mr. Townsend, for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Kim. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so we're just going to jump straight into our topic for today. But actually, no, before we do that, what we're asking all of our guests, um, first and foremost, is how are you doing today? How, how have you been coping with COVID and how are you feeling today? Thank you for asking. I must tell you that I'm doing well. Um, I I think in the light of COVID, my baseline for what I consider to be my my case for when I feel well has definitely become that I'm happy, healthy and safe. So I'm all three of those things. So I'm, I'm more than okay and very grateful to be with you guys this morning. Awesome. Cool. We love and to I, hear that. Um, I think it's the question. Is, I think those, those things are very important. Happy, safe. Oh, sorry, Kim. <laughs> no, no, no. Please go for it, Kobana. Sorry, I'm breaking up. Yeah, I was just, I was just saying that. I think happy, safe, safe, most importantly, is something to be grateful for. So I totally relate to that one. Mm, mm. And um, I think the, the other question we've just been asking our guests is, what have you found to be the hardest, you know, COVID-related um, difference to your life that you've had to adjust to? And how have you adjusted to that? Great question. Um, I, su- I suppose I, I'm in a fortunate position in that, in that not a major changed for me obviously it was just being under the list for essential services um, we, we didn't feel drastic shifts in the way we work other than of course uh, taking m- many more precautions than we normally would um, so for instance all of the screenings all of the sanitizing that's all been very important but understandably necessary I think for me the the biggest and hardest hit change has just been the effect this has had on the people that I'm working with in therapy 
Um, I, I fortunately am in, in, in a fairly sheltered position around it, but I have definitely had to bear witness to a lot of big changes that a lot of people have been going through and had to work much more intensively on seeing new problems and new differences emerge for everyone and, and try to stay present with everyone, helping them navigate a very, very different world than what we're used to. So for me personally, it's actually been much more related to the work that I'm doing. Um, but thankfully, it looks like we're flattening the mental health curve just as much as we are the pandemic. Wow. That is an interesting, um, you know, because it, I personally uh, am in therapy myself and my therapist was telling me how um, it's important for everyone to remember that like, this is not a normal time. So the fact that there was also like, a sort of change in terms of our mental health, um, you know, how we live our lives, how we see the world is actually quite an important thing. And I think sometimes people don't understand that. Um, but also now, obviously, because we are so much more aware of mental health and disorders um, in terms of our mental state, what is, you know, what is an issue or, I mean, what is a I'm sorry, this is a different Connor, It's a brilliant question, and I agree fully with you. Uh, it's more important now than it ever has been. I suppose in trying to understand what the difference is, it's important also to understand what the difference is not. Um, unfortunately, we still have a rather pervasive myth that the difference between a problem and a, is that a problem is situational and a disorder is chemical. Um, and unfortunately, in modern psychology, we don't think about it this way anymore, although some people still seem to, to talk about it this way. Because, of course, we understand in modern psychology that what is psychological is biological and what biological is psychological. They're, they're really two different ways of talking about the same mm -hmm. thing. But I suppose if we're trying to understand what's the difference between a problem and a disorder, it's also something that, that can be understood by not necessarily the presence or absence of suffering. So again, some people would say that a problem or a disorder is about suffering, and, and then there's this situation where you have no suffering. And of course, that too is kind of a myth. There isn't a situation where you'll find human beings free of every form of suffering. Um, it's, it's simply not the case. The difference is about in problems we suffer, but we find that we are generally able to adapt to those situations and broadly speaking, cope with what we're struggling with. Whereas in a disorder, we're not able to cope whatsoever. And, and that's really the distinction you'd want to draw. And, and again, if we're thinking of COVID, um, is, it, is it a problem that you're anxious about COVID? Of course, you, you don't necessarily want to be anxious. Mm. You don't want to be tense. You don't want to be having ruminative worries in your mind, you know, constantly thinking about it. Uh, you, you don't want to have that. But it's a problem if you're having those feelings, but you also know how to deal with them. For instance, social distancing, uh, making sure that you sanitize regularly, all of these things. So you're feeling some form of suffering, but able to regularly deal with it in some way. This becomes a disorder when what you're experiencing becomes so severe and so pronounced that you're not able to function on a daily basis. You can't get through your day, daily routine. You can't interact with people the way you'd like to that's when we start seeing something turn into what we might call a disorder within modern psychology. Wow. Um, and how would that, how would you say that is, you know, important in terms of how we live about daily lives? Um, because you know, some people, you know, might confuse the two and then next thing you know is that you're suffering with a disorder, but you're not getting the help that you need. Well, I think the problem, uh, I suppose, definition still is something that you need treatment for. Whether it's a problem or whether it's a disorder, 
you would still get some kind of assistance. The, the difference really between them is the, the nature of the assistance, how intensive this is going to be, and of course, the agency with which you'd seek it. If someone's struggling with a disorder, what we're saying is, this person is struggling with an emotional experience or behavioral pattern. Something's happening in your life that's causing a great deal of suffering, that's making it difficult for you to actually function the way you would regularly, but it's become so severe that you don't actually know how to deal with it. You have no managing it. Whereas with problems, you have strategies that you've either developed through understandings of your own, through, through trial and error processes, or through other people. So you're still going to get the same kind of treatment, just how intensive is this going to be? For example, if someone's struggling with anxiety as a problem, if we use the example of social anxiety, again, to say that someone has social anxiety uh, could be a problem or a disorder. It, 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 it means that you're worried about negative evaluation from other people. So if you have a problem, we're saying that you worry about negative evaluation from other people, but you've developed meaningful strategies to help you manage that so that you don't feel that the only solution you have is to avoid people entirely. In social anxiety disorder, we're saying that that anxiety is so bad that you don't have a way of dealing with people or managing your anxiety situations. So your only recourse is to not interact with anyone whatsoever, which as you can imagine is going to create a whole new set of difficulties for a person. If someone's got a disorder, we would actually say that treatment is very necessary and very urgent. If you've got a problem, it's not to say that treatment isn't for you. It's just that it wouldn't be as urgent and you won't need as intensive um, attention in that respect. Sure. So from what I'm understanding, um, Mr. Townsend, really, you know, the, the, the thin line between problem and disorder is also how you perceive the issue and, and the intensity um, it, it presents itself for you as an individual. My, I think my question then is, when it comes to problems versus disorders um, in terms of how other people maybe see you. So like, let's say your family is concerned that this has now um, moved from a problem to a disorder. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking specifically with these COVID times, we have matriculants um, that are going through a lot. You know, we have first year and final year students that are going through a lot. And it's, it's something that often pops up in the back of my head, how our family members able to identify or see some sort of signs um, or symptoms to, to help their loved ones in this situation. Tremendous value in this. I suppose that in the question, it is, it is very commonly necessary for the person themselves to see it as a, a problem or a disorder. Because of course, I guess if someone else sees it as a problem and you don't, it becomes really tricky to navigate treatment. But I suppose what we're thinking of is how can family members understand the difference between the problem and the disorder? And again, that, that'll go back to, is this person able to adapt? Are they coping? Meaning that I guess it would be, it would be unfair to say that a matriculant at this point definitely has an anxiety order uh, because they're very about the remainder of their year. I, I think we would be thinking it, it would be rather abnormal if there was no anxiety about it whatsoever. It would be totally understandable that they're under more stress, under more pressure, especially faced with so much uncertainty about how the rest of their year is going to progress great importance to them. I guess what we would say there is for the parents is not, is your child anxious? It would be much more to do with is your child anxious and unable to cope with that anxiety to the point 
that they're no longer studying effectively, that they feel so overwhelmed that they can't continue with a daily routine, that, for example, their sleep patterns are disrupted so severely that in the day they're too exhausted to function way they'd like. It's really about are they able to manage, are they able to cope? And if you're seeing signs that somebody isn't able to cope, that, that they're not able to manage their current daily relationships the way they typically would, that's when you'd really be able to say, okay, this has turned into a disorder. It's less to do with the presence of a symptom and more to do with whether someone can handle this or deal with it or not. And, and that's where we want to place our focus because focus of treatment isn't so much in getting rid of the symptom. It's got much more to do with helping equip somebody with the necessary tools and, and strategies to be able to better manage what is the difficulty. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I think that definitely sheds a lot of light in terms of that, that distinction between the two and, and, you know, maybe also understanding a little bit better in terms of what we can expect and in terms of being hard on ourselves, I think that's something I, I tend to focus on a lot because I am definitely a culprit of that, where I, I think, you know, if, you know, X is happening, a person should have moved on or should have dealt with it in a certain fashion. But I think now what you're saying is, is definitely helping in terms of helping us see that we're all going to experience it just on different levels. And those levels are important to, if I'm understanding you correctly, to, to kind of um, self-introspect and help identify, you know, how bad is this really? Is this actually affecting how I'm functioning every day? And if so, I need to get help immediately and I need to, to um, speak to someone. Um, or can I actually find tools to help me through this? So I think now might be a good time to kind of look at maybe three common issues that we go through as students. And maybe you can help us understand, you know, if you have this issue and it's still a problem, here's maybe one or two um, tools that you can use. But if it becomes a, a, a disorder or it becomes quite severe, here, here's some um, lines of help that, you know, one can look at. Would that be okay? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think the first one is um, you spoke about anxiety and, and you spoke about how there's different treatments and routes that one could take, whether it's a problem and whether it's, it's progressed to a disorder. Could you maybe give us an example of two of each? So, you know, if it's still a problem, what are some tools that one can use for anxiety? Sure thing. I guess... Kim, the, the big factor of how you deal with anxiety has a lot to do with what's causing your anxiety. Because I suppose anxiety, when you think of it in the broadest level, is an emotion. Anxiety isn't even necessarily a problem or a disorder. Um, it's an emotion characterized by symptoms of physical tension. So tightness in your chest, heart palpitations, knots in your stomach, uh, feeling hot and warm, all of those sorts of things tell us that you could be anxious or feeling very sort of so tense that you can't concentrate effectively, that, that you're kind of bundled up in thoughts about things that worry you. Anxiety can come up from a lot of different sources. So anxiety is essentially about having an uncertain, uncontrollable future. So for instance, that means that it could be linked to relationships, it could be linked to academics, it could be linked to a whole bunch of different situations, what we call generalized anxiety. But in order to be able to deal with anxiety, it's firstly very, very important to understand what you're anxious about. What's actually making me feel this way? 
And for example, if someone were to say to me, well, the thing that makes me most anxious is um, I'm really worried about the possibility that I might fail my exams. So again, if, if that problem really sits in your mind, how do we tell if that's a problem or a disorder? Well, I guess it's a problem if it's something that you're worried about and it's making you uncomfortable, but even though it's making you uncomfortable, you're still able to study effectively, manage your daily routine, get enough sleep at night, you know, you're maintaining your appetite. So there you're okay because the, the solution to that problem obviously is to prepare effectively for your exams, to do as much as you can. We were as fast as an anxiety disorder when this has become so consuming, so severe, this anxiety, this experience, that you're unable to sleep at night, that, that your concentration is so obliterated that you can't uh, study during study sessions, that, that you feel totally shut down from it. When this, the, when this problem exists such a severity, then we'd say it's a disorder. And then what you would want to do is you'd probably want to consult with a psychologist or a therapist. Uh, they would usually use very directive approaches to help you manage these, like things like controlled breathing, mindfulness, meditation, and even cognitive strategies, helping you reframe different thought processes in your mind. That also help you build up a support network if you don't already have one, talking to friends, talking to family members who usually have very valid and helpful insights that can really help you through that whole process. And if necessary, one can even go through to a psychiatrist who can help with medications, things that can bring down anxiety in a chronic level or in very acute stages. Um, so you've got all of these tools available to you, but we'd say that you, you'd want to kind of lean towards them when it's become a disorder. Because exactly as you pointed out, Kim, the, the whole idea here is that you shouldn't think there's something wrong with you because you get anxious. Uh, it's not the presence of anxiety that, that is the concerning part. It's, it's when we feel it's become so severe that we can't manage it. That, that's really when we want to treat it as the disorder and, and seek out more help. I think then, you know, even, even with the, the rest of the common issues, you know, things like insomnia and depression, similar similar way of thinking very much so so for example again in insomnia depends on what the cause is you know we could say that i guess if if you've been in, ingesting high doses of caffeine because you're trying to cram study in the middle of the evening it's, it's not really going to be a situation as to what's causing your insomnia but what if the insomnia has a lot to do with as you're saying like just worrying, sitting up at night, really, really going through these patterns of thinking over and over again about the things that you fear and having no way of controlling that thought process. That's when we're seeing something come into being a disorder um, where you've got no way of rallying against it. To manage insomnia, there are a lot of ways of dealing with it. Um, one of them, of course, is making sure that you don't take too much in the way of stimulants. Uh, those could be medications that include just caffeine, even smoking, things that would keep you up kind of want to stop those as early in the evening as you possibly can. Having a set routine sleep schedule becomes really helpful, making sure that you're managing to get your eight hours, making sure that you, in addition to maybe studying, also get enough in the way of exercise and other activities to build up sleep pressure can be massively helpful. But most important, what a lot of people will find helpful to manage sleep is Especially when you're anxious, you don't want to do one of two things before you sleep. You don't want interactive stimulation. You don't want to be working. You don't want to be on a phone. You don't want to be gaming. These things wake us up in the evening. And you also don't just want to be lying there trying to fall asleep. This creates something called sleep stress, which makes it very difficult for you to fall asleep. One of the most effective means to be able to fall asleep at night is to use something called passive stimulation. 
that's usually where you're reading something or something or listening to something but it's not really work related it's not very intense it's it's kind of very slow paced this is the adult equivalent of what bedtime stories are for kids kids themselves struggle to fall asleep at night so so when you allow yourself something relaxing and peaceful, it just holds your mind in suspension and helps you kind of drift off. When you allow yourself to do habits like these, you can overcome the problem of insomnia. When insomnia turns into a disorder is when it's become clear that all of your traditional coping strategies have crumbled or if the strategies you normally use don't work anymore, now we're in the territory of disorder and that's when we'd want to say go consult with a psychologist or, or a psychiatrist and thankfully I believe the university has a lot of people on campus who can be really helpful in that respect. What's also really important is as you say with depression you know I guess to say that you could be feeling pretty depressed around exams gosh I suppose again we could say not entirely an abnormal state I don't know too many people who are full of joy and and happiness during exam periods because of course depression has ultimately a lot to do with a sense of loss you know it ultimately has to do with things that are missing in my life that i would want and of course regular social contact a lot more rest and relaxation engaging engagement in meaningful leisure all of that's gone during exams it's a similar reason we've seen a lot of depression during COVID. a lot of the things that we used to have in our lives have been lost in a lot of ways so again we wouldn't necessarily say being a bit more depressed during COVID is necessarily a disorder there's an end of it that's expectable and people are kind of finding ways around it. We're adapting and we're coping. Um, but if you find yourself looking at that, when, when you see that depression during, um, during, during exams, for example, or during COVID, it's a problem if you've got some strategies that you use. So a lot of people, for instance, do things that are like self-soothing, which is about finding something that's pleasant on one or more of your senses, nice things to taste, to touch, to smell, to hear, to see. And creating different combinations of that usually takes the edge off. It also is about looking at what feels like it's been lost and trying to identify those things and trying to incorporate them a little bit more into your routine to create balance usually helps a little bit. But when these sorts of strategies kind of fail and you see this feeling, and even though you feel like you're doing all the things you normally would do, we've gone into a place of disorder where the cause may be of a different nature to what you're used to and the tools you have might not cover that and you'd really benefit from getting a few new tools to be able to help you. Oh, wow, um, Mr. Townsend. I've, pretty, I've learned that, as you just said, um, even though I think also because mental health is quite a journey and we all sort of have to like find what works for us. Um, but since we are, you know, a technological, technologically inclined generation, um, are there any maybe apps that you could recommend or anything that we could possibly find, you know, on our phones, on an app store, on the internet, whatever that could help us just navigate through everyday life if we really maybe don't have the money to consult with a therapist or um, a psychologist and mm, so forth? Absolutely, Kapon, and I'm glad you ask. Um, unfortunately, we don't have have those one-size-fits-all apps just yet as you said because we're still in the journey of creating them but there are a couple helpful ones that you can use I, I know that things like headspace and waking up are two apps that are very good in terms of things like meditation well-being mindfulness 
um, and they kind of have some encompassing ones. I'm sure many of your listeners will have some questions as well. But in the absence of being able to access therapy typically, it's also important to remember that as much as we have apps, we also have great helplines through places like SADAG and Lifeline that offer free telephonic counseling, and they can be really useful resources to people um, when they're not able to access traditional therapy. So I'd suggest those at least as a starting point. Yeah, I think, sure, this is, I didn't even know there was a term called sleep stress. Um, so this is like, I feel like each episode I'm learning so much that I feel like I should have known a lot sooner, but I suppose that's the point of these episodes. And yeah, again, thank you so much for joining us today. I think I'm just going to um, end off with a question from one of our Psyche members. Um, as you know, we have our frequently asked questions where we have encouraged um, people in the community to ask any questions that they have for our speakers. And a question from Zania, I hope I'm saying that right, Zania, um, is, uh, Mr. Townsend, do you think we'll ever get to a point in our society where mental disorders will become as spoken about and as taught as medical conditions to allow people to get help quicker? That's a fantastic question. And, and thank you, Zania, for that. I, I do. I really do believe that. And I think that it's becoming something more common for us on a daily basis. I think that when we are experiencing situations to what we've discussed today, where where pandemics happen and we're forced to confront a lot of issues that, that might go under the radar otherwise. You know, it's a funny thing that when traumas like this happen, it opens up dialogues about things that are taken for granted, things that should be understood and spoken about much more. And you know, I think we're already seeing that start to happen. If we look at the differences from the 1960s to 70s to 80s to now in 2020, um, people really have lowered their sense of stigma around psychological disorders and difficulties we're having because we're realizing that as human beings, we are fundamentally placed in situations where we are constantly stressed and we always have difficulties. And it's not a bad thing to have difficulties. It doesn't make you abnormal. It doesn't make it a problem. The, the difficulty is when you don't have access to the things that can help you manage it, that we're changing the dialogue around that. And I think that, that today and that a lot of things we're seeing in modern culture are helping us understand that better. So I think that we will get there and I don't think we're as far off as we sometimes expect. Personally, I think that is great. That is all the motivation that we need to keep platforms such as this um, you know, going because I think Psyche UP really came up with such an incredible platform. Absolutely a pleasure to have someone as insightful as you, Mr. Townsend, to join us today. I know I've learned about just like him, I didn't know there was something called Steve Jess. Um, and but now when I think back, I, I can see it in the patterns that I have, and I'm like, mm, maybe that's what that was. Um, so sometimes these conversations really just enlighten us on the everyday challenges that we have that we really didn't into. So thank you so much for your insightful, 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 um, you know, approach to this conversation. Well, thank you both for the fascinating questions, for a great conversation, and of course for making this opportunity available to myself and all the listeners. I think these are great conversations that I truly do hope you'll keep having. So. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. Okay, guys, and that wraps up 
our episode of Mental Matters. Um, join us next week for yet another episode where we speak to another specialist, we answer your questions, and we talk about all things mental health related. This has been me, Kim. And Kopano. And Kopano. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks so much, Mr. Townsend, again. Have a great week. <laughs>